fantastic to be here and to share with you today. Uh, some of you I know, 23 years ago we left, but some of you are still here, and that's great. But what is even better is that there are lots of people I don't know. And that is exactly as it should be, that God is at work amongst you in lots of ways. And, uh, and that is really encouraging how tragic it would be if, we, if you were still where you were 23 years ago. That would not be good at all. And as we get older, and some of us are getting there a bit, well, no, we're all getting there at the same pace. It's just that some of us are a bit ahead. We have to realize that God is doing new things amongst us and uh, not get in the way of all those new things happening, which is uh, really exciting. Um, for those of you who do know us, um, just a little bit of news. Um, uh, we left here um, thinking that we would never have children, and that wasn't a problem to us because we thought we are completing Christ, and, uh, and then God had other plans. And uh, so I just share that only because I think some people may struggle with this issue, and, and uh, we are completing Christ single, married, with children, without children. We can know the fullness of Christ in all things. Um, and so uh, we've done all sorts. Of, it feels like we've done a lot of different things. And I'm now in ministry in Leicester. I'm, uh, um, I'm the Jez Brown of the East Midlands, which means nothing to some of you. But uh, the, uh, the regional minister who heads up the team serving the Baptist churches of the East Midlands. And East Midlands is Peterborough, Lincolnshire, Derbyshire, Nottinghamshire and Leicestershire. So uh, it's great fun. Great people. We uh, are enjoying ourselves hugely. And I also sit on the... Um, uh, Baptist Steering Group, which is the leadership team of the National uh, Baptist. Now, I know we're not big on being Baptists. We are Christians. We are God's people. And underneath, some of us have a little tag that says, yeah, but we're part of a Baptist network as well. And what we're trying to be as a Baptist network is a movement that sees God at work amongst us. A movement that actually is about renewal of our churches. If every one of our churches was like Muttley, we wouldn't need regional ministers. When they're well-led, healthy, reaching out, everything is good. But they're not all like that. So I just leave that with you for your prayers. So renewing our churches, equipping our people, equipping us to be the people God wants us to be, whether that's ministers or deacons or elders or simply disciples, actually equipped to tell the world of God's love, to share his God's love and to be all that God wants us to be. And then thirdly, fits with the song we've just sang, to go to go and be the people of God. Baptists have 400 years of planting churches, but we kind of lost the plot a bit. Uh, we are about being sent by God to go and tell people who don't know. We come here, fill up our batteries, get recharged, and then out we go to share good news. So, exciting times to be Baptists and to be part of God's kingdom purposes as we share together. And then, to add to the joy of seeing you all and that, you've given me Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11, which is probably the most fantastic passage, a preacher's dream. So thank you. It's great to be here. And may God speak as we uh, look together at his word. Now, I, uh, I've, I've entitled it, Work Your Way Down the Ladder. And I think we've got some PowerPointy things coming up, hopefully. Now, I'm not quite sure I should have worked out what's going on, but my NIV starts slightly differently to your NIV. Uh, not that that matters at all, but I do rather like what it says in mine. I like what it says in yours, but I just thought I would say this. Um, it, in verse 5, it says, In your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. What are your relationships like? 
as a church community. That's what this is all about. In your relationships with others, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And uh, I think in yours it says, have the same attitude as Christ, the same mindset. So what's your attitude like to one another, to each other, to the world in which we live? Oh, we can excuse it, can't we? We say, oh, well, I'm a bit grumpy today, had a bad night's sleep. Uh, Oh, I've got so much on my mind, it's really difficult. Uh, So my attitude's not what it should be because of, and you can fill in all the gaps for yourself. And I think this passage may be saying to us, that's not good enough. Actually, we are called to be better than our circumstances. We are called to rise above all that stuff that comes in and pushes us down because God in us, the hope of glory, let us follow the example of Jesus Christ. We should mimic him. We should act like we are at the bottom of the ladder, not at the top. I love those sayings you get. I sometimes look on Google and wise sayings. You know, it's like a, even if you win the rat race, you're still a rat. <laughs> and it's a shame if you get to the top of the ladder and then discover the ladder's leaning against the wrong building. So we get to the top and then discover actually it was all wrong in the first place. And it's those kinds of things here that actually, yeah, you could go up the top of the ladder, but actually if it's like that, it's not a ladder worth climbing. And Paul is writing to a happy church, a joyful people, a people who've shared the gospel work, being generous, thoughtful, and considerate. The book, you know, Philippi and the Philippi church was one of the best. And yet still, they needed to be told to have the attitude of Christ, to learn what it's really about, to learn the upside-down values of the kingdom of God, to follow him. But before we get into that big time, I want to just remind you that these verses are breathtaking poetry. They're perhaps some of the most awe-inspiring words in all of Scripture. It's the Mount Everest of peaks in the New Testament. Now, that may not be Mount Everest. I do apologize for those of you who know your mountains, but it's a pretty cool peak. I like it. Um, And actually, that's what this poetry is. It is an amazing presentation of Jesus Christ our Savior and Lord, and what it means for us to mimic him and to understand his, um, his example to us. The, the amazing story of how the eternal Son of God stepped out of eternity and became a man as we God intended humanity to be. These few verses written in this simple little letter bring us into an encounter with God which is just mind-blowing and staggering. And, and maybe today, you know, for all of us, there's so much going on in our lives to be confronted again with the reality of Jesus Christ, Savior, Lord, humble King. I hope it will warm your soul and remind you again of the truths of the gospel and how absolutely amazing it all is. In Lewis Carroll's book, Through the Looking Class, Alice steps through the mirror into the living room to find a world on the opposite side, which is completely upside down compared to what she's used to. Alice wants to go forward, but every time she tries, she goes backwards. She wants to go right and ends up going left. She wants to go up and she ends up going down. She tries to go fast and ends up going slow. And maybe in a similar sort of way, The message today is, 
actually the truth of the gospel turns everything that we tend to believe in upside down, turns it on, his he on its head. If you want to be blessed, be a blessing to others. If you want to receive love, then give love. If you want to be honored, then first be humble. So if you want to truly live, you need to die to yourself. If you want to gain the unseen, then let go of the seen. To receive, first give. To save your life, lose it. To lead, be a servant. To be first, be last. Philippians 2, verses 5 to 11. The only way is down. You may know Towie. The only way is Essex. There was a blank look in the nine o'clock service, but actually there's a bit of a blank look here. I think nobody wants to admit to knowing the only way is Essex, which is all about getting more, being more, impressing more. And Jesus says, forget that. The only way is down. That's what the gospel is about. And that is the best way to live. That is the way of uh, fulfillment. It is the way of satisfaction, of contentment of knowing God in Christ. And you see, the logical flow of Philippians, this little letter, has been, Paul's been laying a basis, and then he gets to this kind of crescendo of praise here as he talks about Jesus. And you know, there are theologians who've taken just one word of this and written whole PhDs on it. In fact, you can do a whole course on kinetic theory, which is Jesus emptying himself. But we're not going to bother with all that today because we don't have time. And actually, what is God saying to us today through his word is what really matters. And I want to tell you three truths about Jesus and then three things about Jesus as the humble king and then tie it all up before we go for lunch at 12 o'clock. Well, we'll see how we go. Anyhow, the first thing about Jesus that this says is that Jesus always existed. This is no ordinary man. This is Jesus who was from the beginning of time, is from the beginning of time. Jesus always there. And that reminds us how far down the ladder he really went. Jesus always with, was with God, and he is God. He is completely God. And that's what it's trying to say. This man, Jesus, who walked amongst us, is the living God. And, and it uses the word morph. I rather like that. So he morphed. Or, uh, but that means he was God. He had the whole character of God in him. And the word morph is also used for the um, uh, insignia of the uh, emperor um, on his ring or, or on a stamp. And they would put it in hot wax and you would know it was from the emperor because it had the emperor's insignia, his morph on it. And Paul is saying to the Philippians, Jesus is God and has all of the character and presence and person of God in him. He was pre-existence. He is God himself, almighty God in every way, shape and form from eternity past to eternity future. This is our God. And this amazing God emptied himself. Jesus emptying himself. In order to be the Messiah, in order to uh, be our Savior, he actually let go. Let go of everything that, that actually was his by right. The glory, the power, the honor, honor. He emptied himself of it and became a servant, a humble servant 
in order to serve his father's purposes. He didn't cling on to his divinity for his own advantage. He released all of his personal rights. And worse than that, or greater than that, he became a bondservant. He became a trafficked person. He became a slave. Not only did he give up all the glory of heaven, but he willingly became nothing for our sake. He willingly became a person amongst us. So, in other words, Jesus not only gave up all the glory of heaven, but he took the lowest position in life, a slave. He was enslaved. The Almighty God appeared on earth as a helpless human being, needing to be fed and changed and taught to talk like any child. The King of the universe, the Lord of glory, voluntarily became a pauper for our sake. He had to borrow a place to be born. He had to borrow a boat to preach in. He had to borrow a place to sleep, a donkey to ride on, an upper room to use for the Last Supper, and he had to borrow a tomb in which to be buried. And Jesus, through Paul, says, I want you to have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. And the more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. Actually, he was insulted, he was humiliated, and he humbled himself. Nobody humbled him. He willingly took this place. And do you know what that means for us today? No matter how far you fall, we can go back a bit on the slides. We're a bit ahead at the moment. Uh, back one more. That's good. No matter what happens, Jesus has been there ahead of us. Somebody in the first service went out saying, Diane, I needed to hear that. I've lost everything and I needed to know that God understands. And that's, I don't know how low you've got, how difficult life is, how awful, how much you feel rejected, ashamed, humiliated. Jesus gets it. Jesus has been there and he is with you on that path. Jesus became obedient to death. Jesus descended the ladder and he arrives at the bottom rung, chapter 2 and verse 8. He humbled himself by, by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And that is mind-bogglingly staggering for the first century people. To be so humiliated and ashamed that you die on the cross. That that is a criminal's death. But it wasn't the physical pain, of course, that caused him most hurt. Bad as that was, cruel as that was, torture as that was. It was the pain of rejection by those who were closest to him. And actually in taking on the sin of the world, separation from the Father. Have you felt separated, rejected, isolated? Actually, you're following the path of Jesus. That's what he did. But he was obedient. He could have said no. Most of us in our situations don't have any choice. The glory of Jesus is that he could have taken the easy path, but he chose not to. He chose to follow the Father's plan and to die on our behalf. The way up is to go down. And so then three examples of the, Jesus, the humble king. This is absolutely shocking. 
Um, and I think we know the story so well that we forget to be shocked by it. That the kind of hero that they were looking for in the first century, that they would have really loved and enjoyed, would um, have been the Jeremy Clarkson type of hero. I know that's left some of you behind now, but you know, actually the one, the adventurer, the go-get-it. Alexander the Great, kind of three centuries earlier, had been the, uh, the epitome of what they saw in a heroic leader and what they wanted, the kind of person they wanted God to send. He'd gone you know, right across the known world at that time, defeating armies and bringing great success and actually was lauded and applauded as a great leader. And then in the time of Paul, it was Augustus, who was a great emperor, who again had had great military might and power and done all kinds of macho great things. And so it was shocking that the Messiah came as one who was humble. It was appalling that for them, their king should die on a cross. And there's a sense in which for all of us, We don't find it easy when the church is called to be the suffering servant, when we are called to pay the price, to be persecuted, uh, for life to be tough. And yet that is what God is calling out his people to be around the world today. And he may be calling you to be that in your particular circumstance and situation. But then Jesus, the humble king, is an example to us as well. Jesus, the Son of God, worthy of all praise and honor, giving up all the glory of heaven. He calls us to follow him, to recognize in him his divinity, his greatness, and, and yet also to recognize in him actually an example of humility, of love, of service, of willing to actually forget about self and put him first. Do you ever wonder about the truth of the gospel? I mean, this, this, this poetry is so beautiful and so staggering and so amazing. And, 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 and you think, can it really be true? This, isn't this too good to be true? And I, I think to myself, 30 years ago almost, we came to this church and it only seems like yesterday. 35 years ago, John Lennon died, uh, was shot, uh, And nobody thinks that he's some great saviour. Oh, his music's good and he's entertaining, but nobody actually thinks, yes, he was God. 45 years ago, was it Elvis Presley died? Uh, Now, some wacky people do think he's coming back and, and things like that. But nobody seriously thinks that he's anything other than a great celebrity and entertainer who got in a bit of a mess. And nobody seriously thinks that 30 years ago when Derek Tidball came, that he was the savior or the Messiah. And if you have any allusions to that, I could put you... No, I couldn't. Um, (laughs) But the reality is, in less than 30 years, the early church was writing these words, was singing this hymn in their worship services, because they knew that Jesus is God. They knew the man that had walked amongst them was the living God, and he is worth following as an example. A humble king brings glory. And I was really struck by this because I haven't 
engaged with it, perhaps uh, the other stuff really spoke to me. But I thought about it, I thought, you know, so often we are in danger as a church of saying, oh, we want to be, we really want to make our mark. We want to have this big celebration in Leicester where I live. You know, the churches want together and fulfill fill the football stadium with 50,000 people singing praises to God. And won't that be great? And won't that really show people the glory of God? And part of me thinks, yeah, that's okay. But that is a denial of this passage. Because it is in humility that we bring glory to God. It is because Jesus was humble to the point of death, humble to the point of serving others and sacrificing. These big celebrations are fab and I love them. But actually, it is about celebrating together so we go out and share in humility and in sacrifice and in grace God's message of hope and love. It was in a being obedient to death, that God was most glorified. The most glorious thing that we can do for our loving, living God is to be a servant, to imitate Christ, to be an example, to, sorry, to follow his example. Mark Twain says, few things are harder to put up with than the annoyance of a good example. I could wish Jesus' example was less good, but it's there before me, and I fail every day to follow in it. We may have certain gifts, experience, skills, and that may put us at an advantage. We may think that actually we have a lot to offer, but we need to be prepared to become as nothing, to become no one, so that God might use us, to willingly obey and follow through. You're going to need three elders, a treasurer and a secretary. And God's calling some of you to sacrifice your family, to sacrifice other things, to fulfill those offices, to receive criticism, to get the flack, to do all the stuff that happens when you're in church leadership. Because that's what we do when God calls us. We follow whatever the cost. So steps down to the bottom in following Christ. If we're going to serve joyfully, and this passage is, you know, the, the whole of Philippians is about joy, then actually the only way to knowing real joy in serving is to, is to step down, to keep going down as we get to the bottom. According to C.S. Lewis, the first step of humility is to realize that you're proud. And this is kind of catch-22, isn't it? Because if you are humble, then you'll know you have a tendency to being proud and you'll admit your humility and every day you'll say it. If you're proud, then you won't think, you're hum- you, won't think you need to. And so kind of it's a bit of a tricky one. So the discipline of admitting that you're proud and need to be humbled is the first step. The second step is to humble yourself before God. So admit to yourself first and then come to God and say, God, I need you. I can't do anything without you. Without you, I'm nothing, Lord. And I will do whatever you want me to in order to serve and to be what you would want me to be. I wonder how many of us have really taken on the self-giving of Christ as a model for Christian behavior. Too many of us are concerned to air our opinions rather than come to a common mind. Too many of us uh, think too highly of ourselves. Mother Teresa is an exception, not the rule, in service and self-giving love. But, you know, never will be 
never will we be more filled with the presence of God and the joy of serving him than when we follow the example of Christ and give of ourselves that God might use us. When we say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven, and pray like Jesus, Father, your will, not mine, then will we be found faithful. Whoever wants to become great among you must be the servant, said Jesus. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Give of yourself, lose yourself for the sake of the gospel. Become a slave of Christ. So the only way is down. Paul is pleading for a life of imitating Christ. A life of love, a life of sacrifice. Because actually, God is no one's debtor. When we give of ourselves, when we sacrifice, God finds this incredible way of blessing us and giving it back. I don't understand God's economy. But the more we give, the more God finds in giving back to us in his love and relationships and grace and truth. It is really the best thing, the best way to live. Look at Jesus. Look at him who is altogether lovely. The one who can satisfy the deep longings of your heart and build your example uh, and, and build your life on his example. Be humble, be obedient, be unselfish, be united. So do you have an attitude problem? Is your attitude that of Christ Jesus following in his footsteps? Oh, it's the toughest call of all and yet the best call of all to follow the living, loving God who sent his son for us. Let's pray together. Lord, you present to us such a wonderful vision of community, of serving together in love and sacrifice, sharing each other's uh, pains and difficulties, caring. And we find it so hard, Lord, because we keep getting in the way of everything you want to do. And we pray for each other, loving God, that by your spirit we might be those who follow Jesus Christ, that we might be willing to have that attitude that doesn't hold on to all the things that are our rights, but gives ourselves to your service and so sees the blessing of your kingdom amongst us. Lord, please will you do it, for we want to be the people you call us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.